0: We're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And my hope is uh, to get through verse 6 tonight. Um, But what I want to do, um, we need to always stay in context. And as I was reading this tonight, um, or today, in preparation for tonight, Again, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. But as I was reading it, I was seeing how integrally related it is going all the way up to chapter 2. So what happens, the Apostle Paul speaks about these um, specific matters. Things that are going on in that church at Corinth. Okay. Every church has drama. Because churches are comprised of people, and people are dramatic. Amen? Amen? We just got all this drama going on all the time, and that's these people. So while the Apostle Paul was there, they were fine. But when he left, these other uh, teachers came in and started contradicting the Apostle Paul. And members of the church started acting out with uh, one specific member uh, sleeping with his um. Stepmother, which is, I mean, even in our wild and woolly, sexually, you know, crazy culture, that seems kind of extreme. Um, so all of that had been going on, and the Apostle Paul pressed in and told them they couldn't do that. The church had to be pure. Get rid of this guy that was doing that. And I don't mean get rid of him, get rid of him. Uh, he, he basically expel him from your fellowship until he figures it out. Well, it seems that, That caused a lot of drama within the church, and eventually it turned into that person um, being uh, grieving for what he had done. Uh, Godly sorrow is what the Apostle Paul calls it. And he came back. So then the Apostle Paul... uh, in verse 5 of chapter 2, says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you, and to some extent, not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. This is verse 8 of chapter 2, and verse 9 Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Guys, when we divide and when we carp and separate and instead of supporting one another and loving one another, um, the enemy conquers, divide and conquer. He messes with people's mind. Listen, man, <laughs> I have seen this for years. Suspicion and doubt and contempt and resentment and all these things go on in communities of people. And again, a church is a community of people. OK, so the Apostle Paul is working through all these things. Then he jumps into a long theological process. Uh, series of messages beginning in verse 12 of chapter two. And this is why I wanted to read this leading into today. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it because I want you to hear how it all flows together. Okay. So this is second Corinthians two verse 12. This is the new international version. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. So he's still dealing with these personal matters, right? Because he hadn't heard back from the Corinthian church after he had visited and then written them a sharp letter. Now he jumps into this theological stuff. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God. This is an important verse for understanding what he's going to say for today's lesson in verse 4, chapter 4. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So it is apparent that these teachers that came in after Paul that were trying to um usurp his authority that we're trying to step in and take over in the church we're doing so in part for money do we see that today do you see ministers that are doing what they do for money they're on television they're online they're selling books are you following me I'm not saying that every preacher or teacher that sells books or whatever is, is in the wrong, but I am saying that those who constantly, constantly, constantly ask for money are doing what they're doing for money. Listen, we've got to pay our bills, right? And you don't hear me begging for money every week, but we need you to be faithful. We really, really do. I mean, we're right there on the line all the time when somebody leaves They take their dollies and dishes and go to another church and what they all The Lord just lead me somewhere else. And you're taking your money there, too. This is a small church. That money goes to that church as well. All right. Every decision you make has consequences. Bear that in mind. Right. And so when these folks were coming in, they were taking money away, money that could have been used to support legitimate ministry with the Apostle Paul. Okay, so. We all need to be faithful, and when we're faithful, God is going to bless, and he is going to make sure that we're okay. Um, chapter 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, again, he's alluding to these Uh, Teachers that had come in. Like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Um, So the Apostle Paul is alluding to the fact that perhaps what had happened was you had... What were likely Jewish teachers who had a strong background, a strong teaching uh, in the Bible of the day, which was just the Old Testament. Um, they were probably nominally Christian. You know, they were saying they believed in Jesus as Messiah. But they were coming in and they were trying to unseat Paul and replace his teaching with their teaching, which was largely what we call Judy, uh, Judaizing. Uh, which is to say that they would have perhaps been saying in order to be a Christian, you need to uh, follow the Old Testament law and become a Jew first, which meant if you were a male, you needed to be circumcised, which is the, the sign of the covenant going all the way back to Abraham. And this was not something that the apostle Paul taught, and it was not something that the official apostles in Jerusalem uh, were willing to uh, accede to. Right, So um, this can happen. I had, uh, uh, I don't know if it was one or two fellows that tried to friend me on Facebook that were obviously Mormon missionaries. Why obviously? Because they were wearing, the, this is even in their picture on, on Facebook. They had the, the white shirt, right? And the tie. And one of them was holding the Book of Mormon like this. L- listen, I've seen this again and again when I was in the colony and I was a youth minister there. Mormon missionaries wanted to come and hang out with our youth group. No, what they want to do is they want to take sheep away from your group. They're poaching is what they're doing. They're coming in, and they want to lead people out of your church. This happens all the time, and it might not be Mormonism. It you know, might be uh, another denominational group. Denominations have distinctives, Right. Uh, you know, Pentecostals, it's tongues. And uh, I don't know, for Baptists, it's, you know, uh, missions or evangelism or something like that. They all have these these distinctives, right? You have groups of people that are Calvinists and they, have, they focus on predestination. And they just figure if you don't believe that, well, you're just wrong, right? You got um, Seventh-day Adventists and they're all about you know the old testament the old testament law and the specific distinctive of worshiping on Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath and if you don't do that there's just actually they think something is wrong with you right so when our church was meeting up the road here at the Hispanic Seventh Day Adventist Church they wanted me to come to, they wanted me to come to their service and it's kind of the reverse of what you would typically encounter um, in the United States Although I don't know if there's a typically anymore, but a lot of English speaking churches will have a a translator that will provide uh, a Spanish language translation to those that are in the congregation. In fact, we did this for a while. Okay, so the you know, you can wear like a little uh, earphone. And so the preacher's preaching here and the Spanish language translator is translating. So they have a room over there that if you're English speaking, you know, the, the preacher is out there and they're doing their thing and you can go in that, that room and there would be an English translation. So they wanted me to come over there. Um, and the idea is, is that we want to convert you (laughs) is what we want to do. Listen, people need to believe in Jesus. Amen. They need to follow Jesus. Okay, all of this Calvinism and tongues and Sabbatarianism and all the ism, ism, isms. All right, they're just distinctives. If that's what they want to do, then awesome. That's great. I'm not saying they're not Christians at all. And people want to focus on tongues. Okay, that's what you want to do. Calvinists, I don't agree with Calvinism. But those are some, you know, many of them are, are very, very theologically um, um, faithful to the word. And there's just lots of good things. We should all be able to get along, right? But see, instead, what we have are are people and movements that want to get followers. That's what you have going on here. Okay? I also find something interesting here in chapter 3 when he talks about the letter written on our hearts, that there seems to be a distinction between the letter and what it is written on. Okay? Okay? So let's think about this. We're reading a letter right now, aren't we? 2 Corinthians is a letter. But you may be reading it on a paper Bible. You may be reading it on a mobile device. You may be reading it up here virtually on the screen. Those of you in this room, you may be reading it right over here on this screen. Isn't that interesting? That's not the letter, That's the medium that the letter is being displayed on. Does that make sense? So the Apostle Paul says, you are our letter, and it's being displayed on our hearts. Oh, wow. And apparently, he also is saying that letter is displayed on your hearts as well. I think that's really interesting, considering that the Apostle Paul, in writing these letters, was not writing anything. He was speaking And there was an amanuensis, essentially a sophisticated secretary that was writing down what the Apostle Paul was saying. Okay, so I love this because uh, Scripture says of itself, um, this is in Hebrews, another letter, right? It says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a perspective, a theological perspective, that uh, makes much of the idea that the word of God needs to be spoken or preached in order to come alive. It's not just dead words on a page or on a screen. It has to come up off the page. It has to come up off the screen. And the Holy Spirit has got to make it alive to you. You're carrying around a book or you're carrying around your device with, you know, the Bible app on it. That's not the Word of God. People read the Bible all the time and get it wrong. They really do. Okay? Just watch YouTube. Man, there's some, there's all kinds of craziness going on on YouTube. I try to avoid the majority of it. Because, you know, you've got these purported Christians and they're all just arguing over points that we need to band together. The world is turning away from Jesus in, a, you know, in large numbers. We need to band together and start loving on Jesus. Verse 4 of chapter 3, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves, and this, this uh, is also going to be a thread that we'll come to again in chapter 4, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence, our adequacy... Um, is another translation, comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So there can be that legalism, right? That literalism that just kills, right? It's, I've related this when we talked about this before, but that's a different perspective than this covenant relationship with God through the Spirit. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, and of course he's talking about the Ten Commandments, he's talking about the Old Covenant, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, that's what the law does. The law shows you what you're doing wrong. The law says you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The law can't make you right. The law shows you where you're wrong. The law is not unimportant. In fact, the apostle Paul said the law is for the lawless. People that won't listen to God need the law. They need something to tell them you either do this or this is going to happen to you. Right? The Ten Commandments haven't passed away. It's just if you're in Christ, you're going to automatically keep those. Jesus said there's two commandments to worry about. Love God with all you are and love people the way you love yourself. If you do that, you're keeping the Ten Commandments. Right? You can go through the Ten, and the, the first table of the Ten Commandments is about uh, your relationship with God, thus loving God. And the second table is about your relationship with other human beings, thus loving God. Your fellow man, right? If you do what Jesus said to do, if you follow Jesus, you don't have to look at a bunch of commandments and say, "I'm keeping these commandments." You will keep them because that's your nature. That's who you are. Okay. Um, then he starts talking about the glory of the the this old covenant versus the glory of the new. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious will the ministry that brings righteousness? That's the new covenant. Jesus makes you righteous. That's the big difference. Verse 10, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So this new covenant is the permanent covenant that's been established, and that's how everybody needs to relate to God. Now, you can't go back in the Old Testament and try to relate to God through that covenant. That covenant has passed away. Again, the law is still significant in that it reveals the holiness of God. But God is not offering that as a way to relate to him any longer. He's offering one way to relate to himself, and that's through his son Jesus. But their minds were made dull. Now, this is, this is going to factor into chapter 4 as well. But their minds were made dull, for to this day... The same, oh, well, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't read about the veil. Let's, let's, let's go up to verse 12. I, I left out a very important verse just so that we'll understand what he's talking about. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So remember, Moses would come off the mountain. He would speak to them uh, the words that God had spoken to him, and his face glowed. And they were they were convicted by that. And so after he spoke to them, he'd put a veil on his face. And that's how he went around all the time with a veil over his face. Until he went up on the mountain or went into the tabernacle, spoke with God again, then he would come out. So um, this apparently, in part, from Moses' perspective, was so that they wouldn't see that the glory faded. Right? So he glowed with that glory of God because he'd recently been in the presence of God But the longer he was away from the presence of God, the more the glory would fade. And I use that glow in the dark example. You know, you you get one of these glow in the dark items and you put it under the light and you turn the lights off and it glows. But the longer the lights off, what happens? It gets dim. Okay. but the glory of the new covenant is constantly glowing. It produces light from within, if you will. Then he says, verse 14, but their minds were made dull. These are the Israelites. For to to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So now he's using this idea of the veil to show that there's a separation between the Israelites and the message. Okay? It has not been removed. That is, the veil has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. This is important for what we're going to see tonight. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So that's how you remove the veil of doubt and confusion. You simply turn to the Lord. Okay? Verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we all have the ability to be in the presence of the Lord just like Moses was. We contemplate, that is, we meditate. We consider his glory. And what happens? We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. This is why we pray. We don't pray to get stuff. We don't pray to change circumstances. We pray to become more like Jesus. Uh, Pastor Craig talked about prayer and I, I gesture here because he teaches sitting right on the edge of the stage on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, accurately said prayer is not for God. It's for us. You're not informing God of anything. God is all knowing, but he wants that relationship with you. Okay, the longer you just let your mind drift, the more you increase that static, that white noise. (sighs) Well, I don't know where God is. I can't hear God. I can't. (sighs) Turn to Jesus. Affirm his lordship. If you don't know what to do, Go back and do the last thing you know the Lord told you to do. You say, well, I don't know. God doesn't tell me anything. Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Then God tells you to do stuff all the time. Are you doing what the Lord has said? Well, no, no, no. See, now, that's your truth. And I don't believe that because I believe what I believe. And that's why you're confused. And that's why your life is a rolling disaster. If your life is a constant storm... It is likely because you're not paying attention to Jesus and following Jesus. Because he will keep you in the eye of the storm. Amen? Have you ever seen that? You have this huge hurricane going on. And they have these planes that will fly through the hurricane. And they get to the eye of the hurricane. And what happens? It's totally calm. Listen, there's storms going on everywhere all the time. You're never going to escape that. You're in a fallen world. This ain't heaven, amen? Amen. It's not. But the Lord can keep you in the eye of the storm. That's good news, okay? So, in the midst of all this, we contemplate the Lord's glory, and we are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that brings Christ, okay? When we say Jesus in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit that brings Jesus into your heart. Now, this week. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, again, probably alluding to these false teachers. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, not your truth, my truth, the truth, plainly, We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So God's the judge, not you, not me. Verse three of chapter four. And even if our gospel is veiled, now he goes back up to that idea of the veil that covered Moses, but it's a separation between the people and the message. But even if our gospel is veiled, he says, um, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That is to those who are lost to those who are. uh, are apart from Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel creates faith in those who pay attention to it, or at least an opportunity for faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of Christ. When the word of Christ is taught, when the word of Christ is preached, when the gospel is preached, anyone who will pay attention is given the opportunity to believe. Now, I watch this all the time in this church. Okay, You think that I just sit up here and talk. There's a side of me that's really trying to pay attention to the Lord and tell you the word. There's also a side of me that is watching you. And I watch this congregation. And I will watch people get up and just walk. Just can't stand any more of the word, well, I gotta go, I gotta go. listen, and you know, we were talking about having i b s earlier, and you know, and when you gotta go, you gotta go. I mean, when you really gotta go, you gotta go, <laughs> okay, so I understand that i was I was taking somebody around on some errands today, and before we got going, I was like, I need to go back to the church, I need to use the restroom there, and I need to do it now because I don't like using public restrooms, guys. I mean, if I have to, I have to. But see, that's the thing. If you got to go, you got to go. But see, a lot of times, especially, and and I would say this is just younger people because it used to be just younger people because they naturally have shorter attention spans. But man, I see it with everybody. They just get up and go. Got to go. Okay? The Lord is trying to speak to you. Be still and know that He is God. Right, and it's it's so different when the band is up here singing, and we're all just you know, I, I, you know, like this is a nightclub or something. I don't know. Okay, pay attention. God's got a word for you, and that word comes through the the band as they sing, and that word comes through this teaching. Pay attention. It'll change your heart. Okay. Um. All right. The God of this age, the God of this world is the one that wants to keep you from the word. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they, or to keep them so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Gosh, there's so much good stuff here. For God who said, said let light shine out of darkness. That's going all the way back to Genesis one has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. All right. So I said verse to verse seven, I meant verse six. So very quickly, let's look at these verses. He says that, um, in verse one, he says, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? They're not synonyms. We use them synonymously oftentimes, but they're not really synonyms. Mercy is what God offers us when we deserve punishment and he forbears. He doesn't bring judgment. He doesn't bring wrath. He doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. See, the reality is, Many people will take advantage of a good and loving God and just go out and sin like crazy. Just do whatever they want to do, okay? It's a product of our age that people do this. And they don't think they're going to be punished for it. They think they're getting away with stuff. They think there is no God. In all their thoughts, there is no room for God, it says, in uh, Psalm 10, verse 4, I believe it is, okay? Okay? They, they, this, they, they've just pushed God out of their thoughts. They think, yeah, God's not there. I'm just going to do what I want to do. He's not going to do anything. But see, he is there. He offers grace, right? And grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. And he offers us mercy. He doesn't punish us when we deserve to be punished. But the idea is to transform our hearts so that we realize what we deserve and we're not getting what we deserve and it makes us grateful and it makes us want to worship him and it makes us want to serve him and it makes us love him, right? It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you have kids, I don't know what your, uh, your theory uh, of child rearing is and discipline is, Okay. But the old school way was it's, you're not abusing a child to spank his little hiney, okay? Now, you, you can't do that in anger. You can't do that to hurt somebody. That's stupid. That's, that's, it's wrong. It's evil, okay? But the reality is sometimes it is only the fear of punishment that will cause that kid to back up and stop doing stupid stuff. My mom had all kinds of fun ways of punishing us. All right, <laughs> <The fun ways. laughs> so she did. One of my, one of the things that she used to do is it w- was uh, smack our hands with the hairbrush. You ever do that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know you got these brushes that you know they've got the little the little uh, plastic or rubber or whatever it is that you know over the you know the, the tines or the the brushes dude, you hit that on your hand. It's not going to hurt anything. No, this is the old school hairbrush, right? It's got those little sharp ends right there. Smack your hand with it. That's not going to break the skin or anything, but that hurt. If we acted up in a store. So somebody was good telling me a story, uh, last night, uh, about, uh, some time ago, this, this person has four kids. Yeah. Four kids. Um, and, uh, when, they, when their oldest was a baby, he was telling me about, a, I think he said he was in a, a restaurant, I think like a Chili's, and there was a kid in there that was just screaming and throwing stuff, and the parents were like, yeah, we can't do anything. My mama would have taken me into the ladies' bathroom and smacked my booty multiple times. And I would have... <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> I didn't do that anymore. All right? When God punishes us, he's disciplining us to correct us, okay? When he doesn't, it's mercy. And what he expects is that a healthy conscience is going to be appreciative of that and change. Well, the Apostle Paul knew that he'd been an abuser, right? He's tried to hurt Christians, right? He says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. We don't deserve it. That's grace. We deserve punishment. That's mercy, not getting the punishment we deserve. Instead, the Lord's given us this this ministry. And because of that, we don't lose heart. We know that because God has given us a break so many times that he hasn't given up on us. Amen? I mean, sometimes I just wonder, Lord, how long, how long, how long are we going to keep dealing with all this drama? Drama, drama, drama. I get tired of it. But I don't lose heart because I know that God is good. And he stuck it, he stuck it out with me all these years, and he will stick it out with you. As long as you pay attention to him, you'll realize he's there for you. Then he says, verse two, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. Manipulation. So there are people who get in positions of authority or power because they like Having power. This is politicians. Right? Politicians can be manipulators. So apparently, um, I don't know the name of the senator. uh, There is a Republican senator running against a Democratic senator in Arizona. I think the Democrat who is the present senator, I think the Democrat's name is Mark Kelly. I can't remember what the Republican's name is. But the speaker uh, or the, the the head of the Republican Party in the Senate is Mitch McConnell, right? Well, this Republican in Arizona, I don't know why he did this or said this, but has openly said that if he's elected, he will not support Mitch McConnell to be the head of the Republicans in the Senate. So Mitch McConnell has withdrawn Republican funds from this guy's Senate campaign in Arizona, and it's a tight race. And this is another Republican who would rather have a Republican lose the race so that he can maintain power than have that Republican win the race, which would cause the Republican Party to gain a seat in the Senate and thus be in control of the Senate again. That, my friends, is manipulation. It's trying to get people to do what you want them to do with shady tactics. And money is often used for manipulation, right? And ministers can do that as well. You watch, you ever watch Christian TV, right? Um, uh, you know, people that ask for money and ask for money and ask for money, right? And they need a jet and they need a helicopter and, you know, they need... Listen, man, they don't need any of that. <laughs> That's shady manipulation. So the Apostle Paul here says, we we're not practicing cunning. We're not trying to tamper with the word of God. So there's all kinds of churches all over the country now, all over the world, really, who have changed their perspective on the word of God and changed their perspective on sexual ethics to agree with the culture, to keep people coming to the church. Well, see, the reality is we got a pair of bills. Okay? If we don't pay the rent, we can't stay in this building. If we can't stay in this building, where are we going to meet? Okay? So we got to keep people coming. And we got to keep people giving. But I won't manipulate you guys. I'm not going to beg you for money every week. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. And if you wanna follow Jesus, you're gonna hear that, you're gonna have faith, and you're gonna do what's right. And if you don't, I don't want a church full of people that don't believe in Jesus. Now that doesn't mean the people that don't believe in Jesus can't come. I want them to come so they can hear the word and get faith and believe in Jesus. But I'm not gonna have a bunch of people who are coming in here and wanting to do it their way rather than follow the scripture, okay? I'm not gonna be shady, I'm not gonna be manipulative, I'm not gonna be cunning, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear, right? I do want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you. I want your faith to be strong, but I want your faith to be strong in Jesus. It says we won't tamper with God's word. That's what people are doing today. They're adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing the word. No, just read it. Now, of course, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to explain it. I'm trying to, you know, give you application, And that is the word of God coming through the personality of a man. But what I hope is, uh, why do I read so much scripture in here? Because I want you to hear the word, guys, ladies. I want you to hear the word. I don't want you to just hear me up here telling funny stories. I I want the the word to get out there because that's what's going to change your mind and change your heart and change your life. He says, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I'm going to stand before God in judgment for everything I've ever said to you. I commend what I am saying to you as the word of God. So people don't have anything to say when when they they want to leave. They want to, you know, confront whatever. They don't have anything to say when it concerns the Word of God, because I teach and preach the Word of God. Now, if you want to say that I'm weak in this area, or that area, or I failed you in some area, then please come and tell me. I'm happy to make an adjustment. But I commend myself to you and to God with this Word, by the open statement of the truth. Not my truth, but the truth. Okay? There's the truth and your opinion. And they're not the same thing. You and I need to align our opinion with the truth of the word of God. Verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled. So now we return to this idea of uh, the veil of confusion and doubt. Even if our gospel is veiled. Right. The veil is what? The separation. Right. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are going to hell, friends. They don't get the gospel because they don't want to turn toward Christ. In order to have faith, you have to repent of your sin. You can't cling to yourself and your sin and have faith because it's going to pull you right back down in the same hole again and again. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You turn from sin, that's repentance. You turn toward Christ, that's faith. They're not separate. If you try to repent, but you don't have faith in Jesus, then you won't continue to change. You'll turn back. Okay? If you want to have faith, but you don't want to turn loose of your sin, you will never completely turn toward Christ. Once again, you'll turn back. You have to turn away and turn toward. Right? So... He says that those who can't understand the gospel, who it's just, none that's nonsense. That's just a bunch of religious nonsense. I don't believe all that. That Bible's just an old book full of stories. Just a bunch of rules. I don't believe that. Right? It's not what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Honestly. Actually, your eternal life matters when it concerns what you think. But... In regard to the truth, the truth isn't going to change based on what you think, right? You've got to change what you think to line up with the truth. Those who are perishing don't believe. Now, isn't that interesting? We would say they don't believe and thus they are perishing, right? But they are following the broad road that leads to destruction rather than walking on the narrow path that leads to life. And that, thus, the Bible, preaching, songs, it's all a bunch of nonsense to them. Okay. Or it's emotion. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos, and it's like, you know, atheist cries when he hears the song Oceans, right? So they sense, I don't know why everybody loves that song. It's a great song, by the way, but they're just, there's a lot of people that love that song Oceans, right? Um, but nonetheless, I remember seeing a video about that. You know, this, this guy. <laughs> well, you know, they sense the power behind it, but emotion doesn't change you. Okay? Emotions just jerk us around. Friends, stop making decisions on the basis of your emotions. Well, I'm up in my fields. I just feel this, or I feel that, or I feel the other thing. Don't make a decision on the basis of that. Confess it, bring it before the Lord, and then get into the Word. See, you need to make decisions on the basis of reason and revelation. I'm pointing to my my Bible here in my computer. That's God's truth. Reason and revelation Not my reaction to everything. Man, I get mad all the time. Okay, but if I make a decision while I'm mad, then I make a big mistake. And I've done that before. You know, I've done that before on the road. That's when you get into a wreck. That's when you get a ticket. The last time a police officer pulled me over... I, somebody was just slow. You ever had that? Or maybe you are that. Are you one of those slow people? <laughs> somebody was just slow. Well, it's just annoying, isn't it? It's there are people that want to go 15 miles under the speed limit, and there are people that think it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, okay? Just go the speed limit. It's, anyway, so I'm behind this person, and I think what happened is as we went around the corner, I went around them, not recklessly, but too fast for this police officer who pulled me over. And the dude was mad. I couldn't figure out what was going on. He just was having a bad day. So in my younger days, I would have been argumentative. Okay, can I just say this? Don't ever argue with the cops. But, 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 but I want your badge. Imagine- Stop. Can I just tell you from personal experience? I've gone to jail for arguing with cops, didn't fight them, but said I was taking them to court over what they were doing. And they were like, yep, you're going to go to court. All right. We're going to make sure of it. (laughs) I had to go through a bunch of drama to get out of that. Okay. I had to, you know, go and take a lie detector test that proved that I was telling the truth, all of this stuff. But it was horrible. It was dramatic. Don't argue with cops. I'm talking to me, right? Because, you know, I get, it, it upsets me. Because I'm thinking, I didn't think I did anything. This guy pulls me over. And usually in the past, when I was younger, the first thing I say is, because a lot of times they won't tell you, tell you why they pulled you over. Have you, have you had that happen? Yeah. But why'd you pull me over? Don't even say that. They'll say, "Do you know why I pulled you over?" Just say, "No, ma'am. No, sir." And let them tell you. Say, "No, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am." And don't say anything else. Don't. I'm looking at. So there's a there's a YouTube channel and they just cover bad cops, okay? Unprofessional cops. You know, they're pulling people over. But a lot of times, although they're showing that this cop is unprofessional, I'm looking at the person that they're dealing with and the person is just a jerk. Wow. Can I have your ID? No, you can't have my ID. You have no right. (laughs) Like, no wonder the cop doesn't like you. You're obnoxious. Okay? Yeah, don't argue with the cops. Trust me. All right, I don't know how I got on that from the God of this world is blinded the mind of unbelievers. I really don't. Um, I want to talk more about this idea of the God of this world or the God of this age next week, but I want you to notice that it is unbelief, right? That blinds the mind in the end. And I talked about that last week. That's what it is. Um, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You refuse to exercise faith. The word of God always gives you an opportunity to exercise faith. Always. Everybody in the whole world has a mustard seed of faith that they can exercise. I really believe that. I think that's what's behind the parable of the talents. Jesus tells the parable of the talents, a talent is a weight of of gold, right? Gives one servant, um, five talents, one servant, two talents, and one servant, one. The servant that had five talents went out, invested it, and got five more, brought it back to the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your master. The servant that was given two talents came back, doubled it, gave him four back. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your master. The one that had one talent said, oh, I know you're a hard man reaping where you did not sow. So I put your, I put your money in a, a napkin and I buried it here, here, here's your money back here. I'll brush it off. Here's your money back. Everybody's given at least that one talent. Right. And I think that could be applied to faith. Everybody, everybody has the opportunity to have faith if they choose to exercise it. So. The word of God has been given to you. It's been given to you tonight. What are you going to do? If you choose to disbelieve, that's the devil who's messing with your mind and putting the veil of doubt between you and the word, and between you and a better life. right? We'll continue this next week. God bless you.